Good morning. My uh, office sits right at the end of the hall where everybody enters from the parking lot. So it's in a rather public place. And on Friday, one of the moms who came to pick up her children stuck her head in my office. And we chatted for a moment. And they're not somebody who attends this church. And, and she said to me, my children really want us to start coming to this church here. So I think we're going to have to come visit. I don't know if you're here today or not. If you're here, welcome. Glad that you're here. But I realized that uh, the implications of Vacation Bible Camp go beyond just what we can pour into those kids during the course of the week. Sometimes kids then lead their parents and families come back and join with us, which is a, is a wonderful thing. So um, if any of you are here today because of Vacation Bible Camp, thank you. If anybody else is visiting for the first time, let me just acknowledge that it's never easy to visit a church for the first time. I've done it enough. I don't like it. It's hard, but thanks for doing it. Thanks for being courageous enough to do that. I would just encourage you to come back at least one more time just to check us out and uh, see if, uh, if this is a place that God has for you. If you were here last week, we started looking at uh, this, this human dilemma that exists because of sin in the world that entered through our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we ended with this diagram uh, that we kind of built our way up to, uh, acknowledging that God is up there and we're down here and we're separated from God because of sin. Uh, When our first parents rebelled, sin came into this world. We've been suffering the consequences of it ever since. And the major consequence is that we are now separated from God. That's not his original design. And we looked at the fact that we as people, humanity is very creative about trying to, to bridge that gap or, or, or reestablish a relationship with God. And so we have devised all kinds of religions, different religious systems, and the world is full of them. You're, you're fully aware of most of them. But pretty much every single religious system in the world starts with us down below exerting some kind of effort upward to try to reconnect with God. We looked at these four words that I called the four religious words. And when we start from the bottom, we see obedience and work. People are are obeying as best they can. What is it that God requires of me? What, What is it that God wants me to do so I can do that thing in the hopes that God will accept me. Or on the other side, we have the word work, and and we work hard to, to do the right things and to not do the wrong things in the hope that we can earn God's favor. These are human efforts trying to reconnect with God. We looked at a couple scripture passages that totally debunk that entire idea. Where, where Paul says, nobody can ever be good enough. Nobody can work hard enough. Nobody can obey enough to earn or gain God's acceptance or God's favor. So that leaves us with this dilemma. And the large arrow in the middle is representing God's response to this. His plan A, the only plan that works. It's not us reaching upward to God to try to somehow change his mind or influence him. No, it's God coming down to us. And we saw a passage in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament where that very language is used, where God says to Moses in the Old Testament, I've, I know full well what's going on down there. I know your needs, so I have come down. And then God uses the word rescue. 
to rescue you. We define the word rescue as when somebody does for someone else what they could never do for themselves. It sounds great, but the downside is that the person who's being rescued is absolutely helpless. They're hopeless. They can't do anything for themselves. We're going to talk about that in just a minute here today. God's plan of rescuing us is called the gospel. He sent his son Jesus Christ to come down to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And that's the solution to this dilemma that that we find. The conclusion last week was this. Religion says, I obey God in order to earn his acceptance. I work to get his favor. And it's an endless and fruitless pursuit that has never reconnected anybody with God. Gospel, on the other hand, says God fully accepts me because of the work of Jesus Christ. God comes down. God does the work. God says, no, I accept you. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you into relationship with me. Therefore, in response, in joyful response, I choose to obey God. I want to, out of a joyful heart, as I understand what he has done for me, I choose to obey God. Not to earn anything from God, no, but as a response to what he has done. Because of God's love for me, he rescued me into his family. Therefore, I joyfully participate in the work or in the mission of God's family. Why would I not want to be a part of what God is doing on this earth? Why would I not want to worship him and serve him and participate in what he is doing as a response, as I understand what he has done for us? And that is truly good news. That that is good news. That is the best possible news. And if we stop right there, as we did last week, hopefully we, we, we feel pretty good about what God has provided for us in place of religious activity that never accomplished anything. As we pick up today, we start with a problem. There's a problem with this. And the problem is me. The problem is me. Because I like religion better than I like gospel. I'm actually drawn towards religion. I I prefer religion over gospel. Now, why do I say that? And I'm probably not alone. Well, it's because I hate to admit that I'm in a situation where I need to be rescued. I don't like to admit that. Come on, we're, we're self-made people. We've got what we got because we worked for it. We, we earned it. We know how to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Nobody likes to admit that they're in a situation where they need to be rescued. I hate to admit that I'm helpless. At some level, I feel like I really do have something to offer to this equation. Certainly, I'm not completely helpless. Am I? I shared the example last week of a A young gal that was hiking on the Appalachian Trail by herself and a tree fell on her and it pinned her to the ground. Thankfully, it didn't kill her, but it pinned her to the ground to where she could not get out. And for hours and hours, she attempted to get out and finally realized 
I'm going to be dead if I don't get some outside help. And thankfully, some other hikers came along and they rescued her. They did for her what she could never do for herself. But who likes to admit that there's a tree on their back and they're pinned to the ground and they can do nothing about it? I don't like to admit that I'm helpless. And I love to be in control. I love to have my hands on things. I love to make some contribution. I want to do something. And religion allows me to do something. And I like that. I shared an example last week of a, of a, a primitive man in the jungles of, of the tropics who believed that when a thunderstorm came over, it was God showing his anger. And so in response, this man would, would reach down and grab hands full of dirt and throw it up to God as an offering. See, God's up there. He doesn't have any dirt. I'm down here, and I've got some dirt so I can offer it to God as an offering in the hopes that I can influence God to not be angry. And that's what that primitive man believed. But I believe the same thing. I like to contribute something. Isn't there something I can give to God that'll make me a little more acceptable in his sight? You see, that's religion. And there's this magnetic pull that draws me towards religion. Jesus was 100% aware of this tendency that we have to be drawn towards religion, towards religious activity, towards doing, towards earning. And so he tells this parable that Cynthia just read to us today. And what Jesus does in this parable is he creates a little drama. It's, it's, it's all... There, all the components. There's a narrator. It's Jesus himself. There's a cast of characters. They each have their lines. There's a little action. Jesus summarizes then at the very end. The passage actually begins in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18 with Luke himself giving us a little bit of introduction here to what is about to happen. And Luke says this, he says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I want you to pay attention to that verse there because Luke is giving us some really interesting clues here of what is going on. Number one, Jesus is targeting a subgroup of his audience with this story, this parable, this drama. See, it's to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Jesus is focusing in on them in this story he's about to tell. Now, that's actually good news because Jesus loves them and cares for them enough to specifically focus on them in this story. He's not not saying these are throwaway people. He's not saying, I'm rejecting these people. He's saying, no, I love these people, and I want them to get it. So he puts this parable, this drama together, just for them. Do you ever believe that God does things like that just for you? you ever believe that God communicates just to you in a specific way that just you need to hear? I believe God does that for us. Sometimes he communicates in ways that are are universal. 
We all need to hear it. And other times, no, no, he wants to get my attention or your attention specifically. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Now, Jesus' voice comes in then in verse 10, where Jesus starts. And what Jesus is doing in verse 10 is he's setting the stage here for his audience. He wants his audience to understand what is going on. So he introduces the two characters in this drama. And in verse 10, we read this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, when Jesus says that to this audience, they probably respond to it a little differently than you and I would today, especially those of us that have grown up in the church. Because when Jesus says two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the people in this audience think, ooh, a Pharisee, a pious person, a holy person, one of our religious leaders. I'd like my son to grow up to be a Pharisee. That's what the crowd thinks. Highly respected people, the Pharisees. And then Jesus introduces the other character, and he says, the other, a tax collector. And the crowd, when they hear tax collector, they think blood-sucking traitor. Sold out to the Romans, the, the occupiers here that we hate so much. One of our own who's working for the enemy, taking our money, putting half in his own pocket, and giving half to Rome. That person deserves nothing from God. The Pharisee? We're looking up to him. Jesus introduces the two characters. And then he goes on in verse 11 and 12, and he gives the Pharisee his lines. This is his part in the drama. Okay, so the two men, they went up to the temple to pray. Jesus identifies them. And then Jesus says in 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like all other people. (laughs) Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. So the Pharisee has had his lines there in the drama. And we find that this Pharisee is introducing himself. He's defining himself by what he was not. It's always dangerous. If anybody introduces themselves to you by what they're not, beware. Beware, something's going on there. He introduces himself by saying, I'm not like other people. I'm different. I'm above them. I'm better, God. And the other thing that he does to identify himself is by his deeds, by the things that he does. And he gives a short list. Come on, God, I skip a couple meals a week. And God, I I only keep 90% of everything I earn. So I'm doing some good things here, God. That's how the Pharisee introduces himself. The tax collector, then, is the next one to have his lines. And we have those in verse 13. And Jesus says this. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Notice how the 
tax collector introduces himself to us. He defines himself by what he was, not by what he wasn't, by what he was. And he calls himself a sinner, which in that day was a a very common term that, that defined a certain segment of the population. You see it often in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and it's usually lumped together with like tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, evildoers, it's the low-life people. It's the, the people you don't want to associate with. The people you don't want your kids to associate with. The people you certainly don't want anybody to think you're one of them. And he defines himself by the fact that he was a sinner. The second thing he does to define himself is he defines himself by his need. By his need. And his need was for something that only God could give to him. God, have mercy on me. I need something from up there to come down here where I am. I need your mercy, God. He's a sinner, and he has a need. And then don't lose the fact that he's beating his chest as he's talking to God. There's some significance there. You know, have you ever been in a situation with somebody or yourself where you say, I just feel like beating my head against the wall? That, that's the frustration That's the end of the rope feeling. That's the, this has happened so many times before and I'm sick and tired of it. And this man has come in before God and it's like, I've been here before. I know it, God. I've been here before. I'm a sinner. I'm desperate for you, God. That's the end of the drama. It's over at that point. Each of the actors has had his lines. They've stepped off the stage And then Jesus, in a moment, is going to give some concluding comments. But before we look at that, I want you to note something. The Pharisee came with no requests. He asked God for nothing, which indicates that the Pharisee had no needs. He he was okay. He was fine. He was just checking in with God to let him know, God, I'm okay. Just want you to know I'm down here. I'm doing the right thing. I'm not like those other people. I'm okay. No requests. No needs. Lacking nothing. The tax collector, on the other hand, he comes with nothing but a request. And it reveals a profound need in his life. His need for God to intervene. For God to have mercy on him. And so Jesus then has some concluding comments. Verse 14, Jesus does something here that in dramatic terms is called either a reversal or an irony, I'm sorry, of situation, an irony of situation or reversal. If you like murder mysteries, you're used to this, where the writer will set you up will give you all kinds of information to kind of suck you in a certain direction, and then right at the end, there's a huge twist, a a U-turn. It goes a completely different direction if the writer's doing a good job. Jesus has done this with the crowd. He's set them up for this. They respect the Pharisee. They look down on the tax collector. And Jesus then drops a bombshell in verse 14 when he says this. He says, I tell you, That this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
And we can well imagine that there were many people that who, heard, who heard Jesus say that, and it's like, no, Jesus, you got it backwards. No, no, Jesus, say that again. I'm sure you didn't mean to say what you just said. And Jesus kind of reiterates it in a moment here. But no, he meant full well to say what he said. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, I know some of you like um, the message version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson's work on the, the Bible. And when Eugene Peterson writes this verse, what he says is, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home made right with God. That's how he kind of translates that, that concept of justification. He says, made right with God. This is the one who went home made right with God rather than the other one who went home not justified, not being made right with God. Now he's messing with the audience at this point. Jesus has just turned this thing on its head and they're wondering what is going on here. We can ask the same question. But the answer is simply that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't follow the predictable patterns that we might imagine. In the kingdom of God, the king comes down to where his subjects are. In the kingdom of God, entrance into the kingdom is not by status or ability or by good deeds Entrance into the kingdom of God is through a relationship with the king. And that's totally different, totally upside down from what anybody would have been thinking. Relationship with the king is only through embracing his rescue for us. There is no other way to enter the kingdom of God, no matter how good we might think we are. Jesus kind of says it best there in the latter part of verse 14, where he says this, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who exalt themselves by proving to God how good they are. Those who exalt themselves by working hard to earn God's favor. Jesus says they will be humbled as their efforts fall right back down on their own heads and accomplish nothing in God's eyes. And then Jesus' final words here, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humbly acknowledge their need for rescue. Those who humbly admit their hopeless condition and that they can't do anything about it. Those who humbly receive God's remedy for the broken relationship between themselves and God, they are the ones who will be exalted, who will be welcomed into the family of God and exalted to a place at his table. Chris, if you want to help me out here. Uh, Many of you here today, have received God's good gift of gospel. I know that. I know that for a fact. You have humbly admitted that you could not rescue yourselves. But maybe as the truth of this parable has been reminded to you today, maybe 
you realize that you also have a tendency to be drawn back into religion. That working, that earning, that doing, that performing to earn God's favor and acceptance are a part of who you are. If that's the case, and I know that I'm constantly drawn in that direction, we're rejecting the work that Jesus has already done for us. We're rejecting the cross when we say, no, we have to add something to what Jesus has already done. And that's a dangerous thing. That is a very, very dangerous place for us to be. We don't ever want to reject the provision that God has made for us by thinking we have to add something to it. If you find yourself in that place today, I'm just going to ask you to take a little time with God Have a little conversation with God like this tax collector did. Be willing to be honest with God and say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I have been drawn in that direction. I've been drawn towards religion. I've been suckered into believing that I've got to add something to what God has already done for me. I would love it if today that you could go home like the tax collector did being made right with God. Now, there may be some of you here today who have not yet received God's good gift of gospel. Maybe you're just kind of exploring. Maybe you're, you're checking this Christianity and this Bible thing out. And that's great. I'm really, really glad that you're here with us today. But maybe something in this little drama that Jesus put together has caught your attention today. And maybe you realize or are starting to realize that your own efforts will never, ever bring you back into relationship with God. Maybe you're starting to understand that God is inviting you into a relationship with him to to receive the work that he has already done on your behalf. Now, if that's where you are today, I would like to suggest the same thing, that you spend a little time with God like this tax collector was willing to do. Admit to God that your sin has separated you from him. Just own it. Don't try to gloss over it. Admit that your own efforts can't do anything about that separation. No matter how hard you may try, you can't ever be good enough. You can't ever do enough. And tell God that you would like to accept his rescue that you would like to accept the gospel, what he has put in place for you to bring you into relationship with him so that you too could go home today being made right with God. I just asked Chris if he would just play quietly for just a minute or two. I would just like to give you this time. I, I quit early today. I didn't preach to the end of my time. I just want to give this next couple minutes to you as a gift just to talk to God. Respond to God. I'll be around after the service if anybody wants to talk to me. The other pastors will be around as well. Take seriously the words that Jesus has shared with us here today through this parable.